Welcome back to our weekly Pistons podcasting on Resball with Andy, a.k.a. Editor of a Piston Fan. This week and today on Resball, we're going to talk about a couple different things. A new 10-day signing, Dame Lillard trade and how that might affect the Pistons, as well as the Isaiah Levers injury. So check in with me and Andy. Get started right now. So we are back once again talking about the Pistons. We got actually quite a bit of Pistons news lined up this week. Some of them actually Piston related to some of it more kind of like fallout from other bigger things going on. But I, of course, am joined by Andy, a.k.a. Data-driven Piston fan. Andy, let everybody know where they can find you before we get started. You can find me on Twitter at E underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. Getting excited for media day, getting excited for the season to start. Let's go. Yeah, we are recording on September 30th, 2023. I'm actually recording here on the campus of the University of Arizona. So if you hear background cheers and screams and stuff, it's because they're playing the University of Washington right now. Big game going on right now. Everybody wants them to pull off a big upset, but rather quiet here on campus right now, which means the game's not going well. Uh, I'm sorry that it's quiet for you then. Sorry to hear that. Yeah, hopefully it'll, it'll turn itself around. But again, we're here to talk about the Pistons. First and foremost, I wanted to talk about Pistons signing Jonte Porter to an Exhibit 10-day deal, which has happened since the last time we talked. If you do not know who Jonte Porter is, Jonte Porter is the brother of Michael Porter Jr., who plays for the Nuggets. Jonte's had a, a bit of a rough start. He was at the University of Missouri where he played his college ball, and a lot of people really liked him. Six foot 11, 240 big man that looked like he could play power forward and center. Looked like a pretty solid shot blocker. Is a really good shooter, just like his brother. But he tore his ACL, not once in college, but twice. And that really ruined his draft stock. Coupled that with his brother's back issues, and there are a lot of people that were like, I don't know about this. It seems like something genetic, maybe, going on with the medical. So Dante Porter ended up sitting out for a long time. Memphis, the Memphis Grizzlies picked him up, helped him to get back. And then in 2021, 2022, he did play for the Memphis Hustle, which is the Grizzlies G League team. And he also played 11 games with the Grizzlies that season in 2020, excuse me, 2020 and 2021. So he did have developmental time there that year and then this last season he played with the milwaukee herd whatever the bucks g league team is i think it's the herd played about 32 games with them and shot something like 32.4 percent from three continued to stretch the floor out looked a little bit better obviously he doesn't move as well as he used to but 6 11 240 can still play power forward and or center i just want to say for us who've been criticizing Poe Weaver and Co. 
for not utilizing the margins well. I think this is actually a really good deal. And what we said before and what we wanted when we said like, oh, Usman Garuba should come in or whatever. I've argued for Poku and a couple other places because, again, I was like, I want to do that could stretch the floor, who could play power forward or center and can block shots, which is what John T. Porter could theoretically do. I know it's only an exhibit 10 day, but again, I think this is a good utilization of the margins because John T. Porter is exactly what the Pistons are missing in the big man rotation, a shooter and somebody that can play both power forward and center block shots. John T. Porter, what do you think about John T. Porter, Andy? Well, I don't know very much about him other than he has size and he can shoot the ball, which we need a big that can stretch the floor. So that's excellent. Um, and then it just depends on who the Pistons would sign so that they could get a third two-way or if they take one of the current two-way guys and give them a roster spot or how they adjust it to use it since we still have an open spot on the roster. But I agree, this is a good use of trying to work around the fringes, which is something we're not known for. But let's see if it amounts to anything, because we could also end up not doing anything with it and just get excited for nothing, unfortunately. Yeah, I'll continue to remain excited. I was very in on John Day Porter when I was doing draft stuff way back when he came out of the draft and rooting for him definitely after those two ACL tears. It's just terrible, terrible start to his career. I don't think he's injury prone for what it's worth to. I think he just had two really bad breaks. And Dante Porter is still only 23 years old. He's still a young man that has a lot of life and a lot of career ahead of him. So we're rooting for you, Dante. And I know I believe in you. Just keep you know knocking down those shots. Just keep playing down low and blocking shots. I think he'll find his way in the NBA. Hopefully, it will be on the Detroit Pistons, though. But moving quite along to the next point on our discussion tonight is trades big trade happened this week andy what was that damian lillard and it was uh i think it was a good trade all around for most organizations except for one that you don't think is very bright what was what was your thought on the the trade yeah after i saw what miami offered which was two or three first round picks Nikola Jovic, who I really like, and if you saw any of Nikola Jovic's play in FIBA this past summer, you should also be very high on this guy who's like 6'10", can handle the ball, should be like a secondary grader. And then the Heat also offered Tyler Hero, and I think that was, that was all that they offered. To me, that still was the better deal. I don't like DeAndre Ayton. I'm not a big fan of a guy who, as his team becomes more successful, he groans about his role and has been called out by his coach, who's now our coach, and his teammates for his lack of playing defense and wanting to commit to the little things. That's why I don't like it necessarily for Portland. But fantastic for Damian Lillard, man. Him and Giannis are unstoppable now. Do you think it has much of an effect on the Pistons? Because I personally don't think it really affects the Pistons. Like We're on such different timelines. It does change the market a bit for, you know, possibly like, you know, Milwaukee could have been a trade partner for us to move Boyan to or Burks, but that's not going to be an option anymore. Well, I think it could still be, but the money is going to be a lot harder. And like somebody in Milwaukee's rotation who makes a lot of money would have to kind of fall off for them to want to do that kind of a thing. But yeah, in terms of affecting the Pistons, like (laughs) they're going to get blown out by like, 
30 now instead of losing by 10 points or something like that. Like, oh my gosh. Especially Dame's ability to just hit shots when people try to duck under screens. Forget it. Like, nobody's going to want to do that anymore. There is, again, there's no way to stop this. Like, if you try and wall off Giannis, good luck. There's four shooters and one of those shooters is maybe like top 10 all time. It's definitely top 15 shooter all time. Actually, yeah, just going to get run over. What do you think about for Phoenix in terms of dumping DeAndre Ayton for what they got back? Good move, sideways move. You didn't like the move. What are your thoughts? I think it's like if I had to grade it out of like 100%, it's probably like a 55 or a 60. Again, getting off DeAndre Ayton's money. I think is good. And it just seemed like that relationship was getting worse and worse. I also like that they did fill out their rotation with younger dudes who seemed like they could fill the role in Nasir Little and Keon Johnson. They also got Grayson Allen, who I despise, but he works and he's shown that he can play in the playoffs. Again, they needed all those guys. They needed to get younger. And for a team that's so in the tax, you know, repeater tax thing, luxury tax, where they can only offer like minimums or do things in trades. I think that works out great because they already have the stars. They're not looking to sign anybody big. They need these supplementary dudes and they need to be younger to be able to, you know, give the older guys some rest. So I think it works there. But Yusuf Nurkic is now their center. And on Sam, Sam Bassini's Game Theory podcast, they made the point that <laughs> Phoenix now has Portland's old front court because I think they have Drew Eubanks as well which is so weird to me uh, that's the part of it that really downgrades it because I'm like Nurkic is not good man especially on defense not anymore and maybe Phoenix is just like forget it we don't care about the center position anymore we're just going to have like five guys that can create shots knock things down and like switch and stuff on defense it's weird in that regard but again I like that they actually filled out their bench and got some younger guys yeah, and I think sometimes when we look at trades, we look at like how we absolutely value a player in terms of what they're worth and don't always put into context how a lot of times what the organization or what that team is looking for at that time sometimes matters more than getting max value because they have Booker, they got KD, like they got Beal, like they're trying to make it happen now because they can't keep this team together very long. And they're like, well, maybe this depth gives us the best chance at winning in the next two years. And it's not the best offer, but we're going to take it. We're going to move on. We're going to move forward, which I think is, you know, actually smart because who really cares three years from now what DeAndre Ayton turns into if it's going to cost them their title opportunities now? You know, yeah, absolutely. But again, this is Pistons related. Do you think this opens up more trade possibilities for the Pistons now? Because it seemed like a good chunk of the league was probably involved in this Damian Lillard trade and looking for a third team. It seemed like that was the thing everybody was saying. It's just they're looking for a third team to get involved to be able to move salary around between Milwaukee. I mean, between um, excuse me, between Portland. The team that gets Lillard and then whoever else so kind of facilitated there. So do you think this now opens up more possibilities for the Pistons 
to actually find something in trade for maybe like a Bullion or maybe like a Burks, like we've talked about? I think it actually makes it less likely. <laughs> and my, my logic behind it is in all my trade scenarios that I thought of, I never really included Phoenix because I didn't think they were a team that had that much flexibility other than moving Aiton. And I honestly didn't think people would want him. But it just makes me realize that even teams who you don't think could jump into a trade are able to jump into a trade to make it work. Where sometimes you looked at like uh, the Utah Jazz or like the Spurs as being, oh, those are likely trade partners because of their cap situation. They could very easily do stuff. Well, a team that supposedly couldn't easily do stuff jumped right into a trade because they made it work. So I think all all the teams can jump into a trade if they want to, if they're willing to give up pieces and, and lose some value. So I just think even though the Detroit has a lot of good contracts, they could move. I I don't think this increases their chances because now I think we're down to um, uh, Harden being moved. And then, you know, and then Drew Holiday. Those are like the last two guys who need to be moved. Other than that, I don't see other trade windows opening until the trade deadline. Yeah, so we talked a lot about before starting this podcast, Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald really throws a wrench into specifically trading Bojan. Why is that? Well, if you look at the stats, he's probably a better three-point shooter than Bojan, which is his best skill. I believe he's younger, but even if you just say they're they're equal, which I think would be fine, um, basically, you know, supply and demand. Now there's another team with a shooter, a great shooter, who's available for basically the same price. I think his contract is like $19 million or something, but very similar players. So now if a team was interested in Bojan, they might be asking Indiana, hey, what is it going to take for us to get healed? And it just makes things a little more difficult and not as easy to move Boyan, in my opinion. Yeah, and when we say Buddy Heald is a better shooter, I can already hear the, oh, Buddy Heald's trash, blah, blah, blah. People out there, stop it. Number 29 in the history of the NBA, number 29 for made three-point field goals, 29th position is Buddy Heald. Buddy Heald has already passed names like Steve Nash, Jay Rich, Mike Miller, Glenn Rice, Eddie Jones, Tim Hardaway Sr., Nick Van Exel, Mike Bibby, Mono Ginobili, Michael Finley, Brent Berry, Antoine Walker, Dan Marley, Baron Davis. These are guys he's already passed in his career as a three-point shooter for made three-point field goal attempts. Buddy Heald is one of the best shooters, I mean, that's ever put on a pair of sneakers and come out there on the hardwood. I don't remember all the statistics, but I, I've seen multiple articles that say there are two volume three-point shooters that also shoot an incredible clip in the modern game. It's Steph and it's Buddy Heald. That's why we say this throws a gigantic wrench into trying to trade Bojan. I think less so Burks, but I think Burks' role is a little bit more fluid and like he could be six-man. He can be small for it. He can do some things that Buddy Heald can't do. But Bojan in particular, if your main selling point is trading him, then like Buddy Heald is going to be the guy to go with first because not only is, like Andy said, younger, 
He's on the expiring deal too, which might be good for some teams that are like, you know what, we'll just rent him for a year. Maybe he can help us with the title. That's fine. And then move on. But he's an all-time great shooter. He's so much more than what Bolion brings as a shooter. Yeah, and I think, I mean, I just looked at it, and I think Bojan averaged like six attempts, three-point attempts a game last season, and Buddy Heald was like, I think, eight and a half. And I think the last few years he's averaged, let's see here, eight and a half, eight and a half, nine, ten, nine and a half. Like, he gets them up at a high percentage, and he just changes the way you have to defend the floor. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this season, Buddy Heald will pass in the three-point made field goal attempts. Dale Ellis, Mello, Carmelo Anthony, Peja Stojakovic, Rashard Lewis. He might pass Kobe this season. He might pass our guy Chauncey Book, 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 Billups. He's going to pass those two soon, though. So, again, just phenomenal three-point shooter. Until Buddy's moved, I think the Bojan thing is... I don't want to say I think it's off the table, but don't you think it has to make the Pistons reconsider what they want? It's been reported multiple times that what the Pistons want is a first round pick for Bojan. Is that still something that they should be like realistically thinking they can get? Um, I don't think they were ever going to get that. And I don't think they ever will. Um, that's just me personally. I think they had a high asking price and everyone starts off with a high asking price. But I mean, similar to Jeremy Grant, I think it might turn into something where the window to move him, move him was passed. And if they do end up moving him, they'll get less than what they probably could have. Um, that's my opinion. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've always thought they could have gotten a first round pick if they weren't as picky of like, oh, we need it right now. Or like, no, no, we don't want one that's like four or five years down the line. Like, I think that could have always been a thing. Because, again, Boyan is a good shooter. I don't want to undersell him. But Buddy Heald is, like, an elite shooter. And especially last season where you had a team like the Lakers or you had other teams that just needed that skill desperately in the playoffs. So I, I thought that was. But now it's, it seems to be less of a thing to where, like, if you have a deal for an intriguing player, I think you just have to take it. And especially one that fits the core. So one that I think it was like Josh Green from the Mavericks. I don't think if I were the Mavericks, I would think that would be like an absolutely dumb move for them to make on their part. Because I think Josh Green can still be a really good 3 and D role player. Always hyper efficient, very athletic, good defender that locks in. But if it were something like that where Dallas is like, you know what, we just need a guy that can hit threes at a high clip and get in his role there. Maybe run the second unit there. We don't have time to wait on Josh Green. We need to do this right now. And then, yeah, that's something to me that I'm like, you, you got to take it. You got to take it. You can't pass it up. Even even though I would like for the team to like try and get somebody that was a first round pick before, like Max Christie. Um, trying to think of somebody else who might have been in that role there, where they're like, you can see the potential. That team that has them now wants to believe in them, but they might not be able to just wait around for them to do it. Like a Max Christie's probably the, my best example I can come up off the top of my head. 
I still think you got to take it. And again, you can still sell like this is basically an extra first round pick because they have the first round pick contract. It's not going to be for four years, but you're still investing in that. And I'm still somebody that I'm like, you know what? If like San Antonio or uh, Minnesota, excuse me, if San Antonio selected him, but Minnesota ended up trading for him, like Leonard Miller, who I'm not a big fan of. But again, 6'10", dude, that could be a wing, could be a power forward, has a ton of athletic tools, scored a ton of points in the G League last year. Yeah, I would still take that deal. Jordan Walsh, another guy who showed out really good in summer league, wing, defender, profiles for what the team needs as an unselfish, hyper, defensive, active guy. Julian Phillips, another dude who's just like a free throw generating magnet at Tennessee. I don't know how he generated so many free throws, but I mean, go look at his free throw attempt rate. He generated more than most centers. Also, another guy that can play defense well. If you play for Rick Barnes at Tennessee, you've got to be able to play defense. Or even like a Max Lewis, who, again, I did not like, but so many people, Rafael Barlow, the no ceilings guy, Sam Bassini said the same thing about him. He profiles as a first-rounder, athleticism, scoring-wise, got a long way to go on defense. But, again, all those guys, like, they're on the table for a bullion. I think you've got to take a young wing that you want to invest in in the future. Defensively, you would hope to be there, but even like a Leonard Miller or even like a Max Lewis, to me, I'm like, you just can't pass up the potential there. And if Bojan isn't going to be here in two years, then yeah, you should be taking a younger guy you can invest in and get some time in that shot, in that spot, uh, even in like second unit. So I agree 100%. And if you remember when they had their high asking price, they wanted a young player and a first round pick. I think that was their delusional request in the beginning. But I completely agree with your logic, because if we would have flipped him for a young player, how easily did we replace a veteran good three point shooter? Oh, yeah, we got Joe Harris. Like, no problem. Like, I just. For me, it makes sense to do. It yeah, they got sense. Monty Morris and they got Joe Harris, so they have two spots. Not that Monty Morris plays the same role in spot, but he, you know, functionally does the same things that you want from Bojan. You run a second unit, be like, you know, third or fourth scorer type of thing, and then be one of the primary floor spacers that gives your main guys space. So, yeah, absolutely. I will push back a little bit on, like, the asking price. I think bad organizations don't ask for the moon first because you want the asking price to be astronomical and then work your way down. I can't think of an instance where like somebody set an asking price and people didn't call. You know what I mean? Like people are going to call if they want it and you've got to at least let them know like, hey, I want a lot and then work your way down from it. Like the Drew Holiday one is a good example now where they're like, we want two first round picks and my first round First thought is like laughter. Like, okay, that's not going to happen. Like, how do you trade Damian Lillard for what you did? And then you're like, we need two first round picks for the guy we just traded for who's much lesser than him. But again, it's the art of the deal. You just got to ask for super high and then work your way down from it. Because the last thing you want to do is be like, eh, maybe we'll take this. And then the first person that calls, you know, low ball, like ridiculously, you know. Yeah, and we don't know what goes on in the negotiations or even what offers were on the table for Boyan, and maybe they never got a good a good offer. But so I mentioned 
Joe Harris, which many people thought would never see the floor because he's washed and old. Um, but recently, it was reported the Pistons had an injury. Do we want to pivot and talk about that? Or is there anything else you wanted to talk about? No, that's a great segue, Andy. So Isaiah Livers, unfortunately, is injured. Do you remember the uh, exact details of the injury? I just remember it was reported he's going to be out six to eight weeks. I do not remember what the medical procedure is, but can you find that, uh, Andy, or do you remember? I believe um, it was Sean um, Halfcourt who mentioned that, uh, who reported the six to eight week timeline. And I think Kuka Hill has mentioned that it was a ankle injury. So yeah, from our guy, Sean Murphy over at, uh, from Half Court and Woodward Pistons, who I do work with, he sent out a tweet on the 29th of September, 2023 at 1029 AM that says, sources, Pistons forward Isaiah Livers, who has dealt with injury issues, could miss up to six to eight weeks. Will be a tough blow for a young child looking to find his spot in the rotation. So again, it's uncertain. You said Koo said it was an ankle injury. So lower extremity. I know he dealt with the ankle injury back at U of M too, so that's worrisome. Um, number one, Andy, what are your thoughts on this impacting Isaiah Levers just being in a piston, number one? Well, because, because I'm a big Livers fan, I hope it doesn't have an impact. Unfortunately, if you're never on the court, Obviously, teams can't keep paying you, giving you contracts if you're never available. But I'm hoping that he'll recover. He'll still get playing time and still have a good season so that we can give him an extension. Because for me, he's just a perfect complimentary player that you want who shoots threes, faces the floor, plays defense. But like you said, if he's injured and unavailable, it's hard for a team to keep uh kicking the can down the road and keeping them around when they never play. Um, so I just hope he heals and gets to stay on the court for the rest of this season. Yeah, I'm going to be the pessimist in this one. I think this almost kind of says, spells the end of Isaiah Livers' tenure. Again, I'm rooting for him. I'm U of M alum. I spent a lot of time watching Isaiah Livers play fantastic basketball for my Wolverines. But six to eight weeks means in six weeks, that's around November 8th. That's like, what, the second or third week of the season? He's not there in training camp getting those reps. He's not getting down with guys he needs to be in the rotation with. If it's eight weeks, that's Thanksgiving. That's, that's just not good for a young guy who's trying to prove his worth and like where he fits in the rotation. And we were already thinking Isaiah Livers was like, what, the eighth or ninth man, right, Andy? <laughs> and you thought, uh, oh, oh, I, I, my mute button moved on me. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, we, we had discussed that he was basically going to be battling with Joe Harris for playing time and possibly Marvin Bagley, depending on what the team was, was looking at doing at the four position. And we had commented on his injury history, which made, in my opinion, Joe Harris even more likely to get playing time because he's even though Harris is coming off an injury other than that 
he's had a very healthy career where he's always been available. Yeah, and Isaiah Livers has played two seasons in the NBA with the Pistons, 19 games as a rookie as he's coming back from the injuries. And then last season, as a second-year player, Isaiah Livers played 52 games. So in total, Isaiah Livers has played 71 games. And if you are out there saying, like, oh, I don't know if they were going to use Isaiah Livers already anyway, number one, you must not have been listening to any press conference or any comments coaching or front office has set up by Isaiah Livers. They keep saying he's part of the core. He's part of what we, who we want to invest in in the future. And they back that up with what he did when he was out there. As a rookie in those 19 minutes, Isaiah Livers played 20.2 minutes per game. And then last year, Isaiah Livers played 23.1 minutes per game. That's major role player minutes of like seventh, eighth man, verging on sixth man territory, especially that 23 minutes per game. So they wanted him to be there. Maybe that does spell like pushing back against my idea. Like, I think this kind of spells the end for him. Maybe it's like they are so bought into him that they're just going to wait until he gets back from an injury and push him in. But again, why I'm so pessimistic about it. Just look at the history, second round picks that don't see the court often that have injury concerns in their first three years. They're just not long for the NBA. Uh, it is what it is. But if you're not out there making an immediate impact as a second round pick, like you just don't get a second opportunity. So that's where I stand with Isaiah Livers. I'm rooting for him. I hope this isn't something that's going to really set him back. But I do think it hurts his chances of like getting in the rotation at the beginning of the season. Because in the interim, what is the options for the power forward? Small forward, who what we envisioned for Isaiah Livers, right, was stretch forward in the second unit to provide consistent spacing for a star, probably, who we assume is going to be in, in the second unit more. Who is left now and what's going to happen with what we envisioned for Isaiah Livers in the second unit as a stretch forward? Well, we can always run out our James Wiseman, Marvin Bagley, two big combo that we are huge fans of. Um, yes, that is sarcasm in my voice. Um, yeah, I mean, basically, I think this gives us uh, Joe Harris and Asar playing the three and four and basically Asar taking the more difficult assignment, I think. Um, maybe if we get creative and start Asar and Boyan and make Stu the backup for, not likely to happen. So. I mean, yeah, it's, I think we mentioned this before we started, but uh, we have a lot of depth at guard and maybe some depth at center, but that four position, which was probably very limited, losing livers actually hurts a lot. Yeah, it's definitely one of the key cogs Then where you felt like confident, like, oh, in the back backup unit, we're going to have all these floor spacers. Again, it would help out a star a lot. Oh, maybe they can come in and help Ivy and Kate space out. Maybe, maybe if Ivy comes in and runs the second unit and we have a guy like Livers who can just provide him with space. Now it throws a monkey wrench in that. There's a couple different options. Andy and I discussed a lot about this because we were really trying to figure it out of like, okay, we feel like this is the excuse the team needs to run the, the two bigs now. Like, well, he's out now. And we got Wiseman and Bagley. One of them can play the power forward. 
and he brought up Joe Harris. I'm not a big fan of putting Joe Harris at the four. I actually think it's a bad idea. He's not a good rebounder. Isaiah Livers showed that he could be a good weak side rim protector. I have never seen that with Joe Harris ever. ever. I don't even know if he knows what a weak side rim protection is. Uh, even coming out of Virginia with that, like it just, it would be a whole new skill set. He's mainly been like a small forward, played shooting guard in college, if I remember correctly. He's, he's what I like to call the old school white guy shooting guard, small forward. You know, if you remember the 90s and your stereotypical white guy, everybody that watched basketball was like, oh, that guy must be shooting guard. Oh, that guy must be the small forward. And he's like the main floor spacer out there. Like that is, this is Joe Harris's game. He's very good at it, but that's why I'm like, I don't want him in power forward. I don't think he has the skills um, to be able to do that even in the modern game. So those are two options, but I also think there's other considerations, especially with Isaiah Stewart. Now, if the starting lineup does end up being Cade, Ivy, Bojan, Beef Stew, Jalen Duran, then maybe it's the two bigs, but also any and I discussed beforehand, maybe that means... Isaiah Livers or Isaiah Stewart, too many Isaiahs. Come on now. Isaiah Stewart gets pulled and then a star goes in. Boyan moves over to the four. And then when the other second unit guys come in, it's the center that goes out for Duran, whether it's Wiseman or whether it's Bagley. And then Isaiah Stewart goes back in to do that, that four spot. So option A is running the two bigs. Option B is having Joe Harris at the four. And option C is rotating Isaiah Stewart out and putting a SAR in to where you put Isaiah Stewart back at the four with the backups and like staggering his minutes, make sure he's out there for support in the second unit. What do you, what do you think in terms of these options, Danny? What do you think is the most possible? Is there another one to consider? And which one do you think is the most you would like to see? Um. I do like the staggering option just because I think that's a way for Asar to get more minutes, which I'm all in favor of. And I'm basically in favor of anything that keeps Bagley and Wiseman from sharing the court at the same time. So I would be a fan of the, the staggering option, but I am curious to see if they do the Bagley-Wiseman thing and use the injury as an excuse to do it because as we've talked about before, like you could have legitimate discussions on who should be the backup. Is it Wiseman or is it Bagley? And whoever loses that battle, it creates a big problem, either from the viewpoint of we traded for this guy and he's a bust or we gave this guy a contract and we never gave him playing time. So. Yeah, I'm just, I'm fascinated to see what Monty comes up with for a solution. What are your thoughts? Yeah, that was my next thing is like, even with Isaiah Livers in, I think that was still a thing of like, okay, if they don't play Bagley and Wiseman together, then who ends up being the third center? And all these options we just laid out, that's not the two bigs, obviously. The two bigs obviously doesn't have this problem because you play both of them and you just roll with it. But Joe Harris at the four or rotating Isaiah Stewart in there, in and out of the starting lineup in the second unit. Like what happens? Who, who ends up being the third center and does that end up being an issue? Bagley's just been so much more productive when he's been out there. 
But like you said, Wiseman is who they've invested in and talked up. When we talk about it this way, it almost necessitates that they have to play both of them together. But if floor spacing is the thing, again, one of them has to be the third guy. Well, who, who ends up being the third guy? Then? Is it that Bagley's the backup and then Wiseman has to come off the pine? Or is it that Wiseman's the backup and Bagley's more or less just kind of sitting there riding the pine too? And now understand when I say this, that I do not wish injuries on any athletes at all. So I'm in saying this, I'm not hoping that it happens, but Bagley gets injured a lot. He has not played many games in his career. Also, um, his rookie year, he played 62. Um, the year after that, he had an injury season, so he only played 13. The year after that, 43. The year we traded for him, he had 30 in Sacramento and then 18 with the Pistons. So that's only 48 that year. And then last season was 42. So, I mean, he probably averages like half a season each season. So maybe we're even overreacting because maybe he's only going to be available for half the season. I do hope health is not an issue for him, though. And, and he's not on the court just based on being beat out for the position and not injuries. Yeah, I mean, it has to be Bagley. Other than the injury stuff, like, he's just been productive. And I've been more and more sold on Bagley the more I've seen of him. His true shooting percentage has also taken, like, a gigantic leap up since being with the Pistons. In Sacramento, it was, like, hovering around 55%. His highest was 56.2% as a rookie. But then when he got to Detroit, 58.5% in those 18 games to close out 2021-2022. And then last season, it was 58.7% in the 42 games he did play. I think the chemistry just with the guards he has is so apparent. I don't know if Wiseman has that. Like, throughout all the other stuff we've said about we don't like him in this game and all that stuff. Like, you just watch that and you see Bagley's ability to run, pick, and roll with both Ivy and Cade. Like, that just screams to me, like, you can't sit this guy. And it has to be Wiseman that, that goes to the bench. I'm also, this might be, like, my, <laughs> in the padded cell watching the Piston game all the time. I'm more convinced, like, Bagley could just develop as a shot blocker. And everything else of the criticism for him would go away. I don't care that he's not a good three-point shooter. He doesn't need to be a good three-point shooter if he's just at center. You know, he's not a good switch defender uh, in space. Again, that doesn't matter if he's at center. Just park him in the paint. He can protect the paint. If he just got solid at that, then he's a fantastic backup that anybody would want. It's just like forcing him into power forward and having to do more movement and shooting stuff. Like, it just takes away from these things that do make him great. And again, look at that true shooting percentage that speaks volumes to being able to work in a role here. Yes, and as we've pointed out many times, if you put him in there with another big that can't space the floor, basically you're taking away his space to work and taking away his best talents and abilities, and it just doesn't work. So still saying my prayers that we don't see those two on the court together at the same time. And also, you know who's a fantastic compliment to Marvin Bagley? And he's having trouble with buttons. 
I'm, I'm having some trouble with that mute button tonight. Would it be that uh, Dante that we talked about earlier? No, Isaiah Stewart. So this goes back to that idea of like rotating stew in and out. Again, you take him out, you put a SAR in to be on the wing. And then when the next rotations come out, then Bagley comes in at the center. And then you bring Stewart in as his complement. And again, it works of like Stewart's mainly trying to be a floor spacer. He's a fantastic switch defender, one of the best defenders out there. Um, we'll talk about that and when we preview him later. That was a fantastic tweet that went out maybe like a week or two ago, showing and highlighting stats of how good Beef Stew is. But again, they work well together. Beef Stew has the defensive skills that Bagley lacks. He's developing as a shooter there. And Bagley is a great athlete, a great pick and roll guy, a great lob threat, which again, Stew is not. So I think that is probably the solution there with livers being injured but again who knows and maybe 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 i don't want to just keep I, I do i'm starting to feel a little bad about like the wise men discourse where it feels like every week we're just throwing him under the bus it, again theoretically he could do all those things that bagley has already shown it's just he hasn't shown any of it he hasn't been productive he hasn't shown the ability to do all those things i just laid out with Chemistry with the guards, being consistent lob threat, being a pick and roll guy. That, that's just the thing of it. He could develop into that. I'm not going to put that against him or say that he can't do that. But Bagley's already shown that he does do those things, which is why I think Wiseman's third center. So I'll have to look because I think like I was hesitant about the Stewart Bagley combination. Just because I was someone who was positive about that before last season, but I think, and I don't, I don't remember how much time they actually spent playing together, but I believe the the numbers when they were in the lineup together were not good. But as a caveat to that, none of the Pistons lineup numbers. Were yeah, good. I was going to say, I feel like this is going to be better when you put like a Sar and Killian next to them. They probably had guards and other guys playing with them who were just leaving them out to dry, right? If you don't have a line of defense at your guard spot, it does not matter who your center is almost. It's just like, you know, they have to make up for a lot. Even the best defenders, if you don't have somebody there at the guard position that's not just like, ole, then yeah, you're going to get hurt. Yeah, in theory, I agreed with you with Stuart having the ability to be able to space the floor and also his rim protection. So yeah, that's why I was like, yeah, we could pair Bagley and, and Stewart together. So, yep, I see that. So yeah, Isaiah Livers, though, we just want to say we're praying for you, man. Hope you stay healthy. Bagley, too, we want to see a full season of what you can bring to the table. So hopefully everything gets right with whatever the injury Livers is dealing with. Go Blue. I'll see you back on the court soon, man. And Wiseman, we're pulling for you to set some good screens and roll and catch some lobs and finish at the hoop and stop posting up. Wiseman, we we hope that you know your game is going to step up too. Absolutely, absolutely. I think Wiseman is indicative of the modern big man. And like again, this is just a personal thing that I have where you see a guy like this who's physically gifted, set good screens, who's physically gifted to be a pick and roll guy physically gifted to be a screen setter, but they don't want to do those things for whatever reason. They want to stick on the perimeter. They want to show they can be a switch defender. And it's like stick to big man things, you know, like if you just 
stuck to those things and then develop the rest of the game out, I think it would just serve you so much better. Like a James Najee is a good example of a guy just sticking to big man things. Maybe he never had the background and development to be able to, you know, try to be a shooter. Nick Claxton is maybe the best example for me of being able to be like, hey, just stick to big man things. Coming out of college, people were like, look, he can handle the ball a little and pass on the move. Look, he's a developing three-point shooter. But whoever, whether it was him, whether it was like his personal training staff team, whether it was the Nets, something happened. We're like, uh-uh, forget it. Block shots, get rebounds, finish. And he, yeah, he does those things at a, the best level. He doesn't miss point blank. Does pick and roll things. One of the best block, shot blockers in the league. And again, he's going to get paid believe he's going to be a, a free agent coming up this offseason. Jared Allen, another guy like that. Like that's, that's just, again, that's come out of this episode of like, that's my main criticism with Weissman. It's just like, you big man stuff, man. Don't stick out on the perimeter so much because you have all these gifts and you can do all these things. Just frustrates me personally when you're focused on other things. Yeah, and usually there you mention like one of your favorites, you know, Looney for Golden State. Just star in your role, do what you need to do, and that leads to winning. And kind of on a tangent, I mean, it would be nice to see how Monty Williams' effect on this team applies that in terms of players knowing their role and sticking to their role. I believe that was one of the reasons why they decided to trade Sadiq was that they said he didn't want to, you know, supposedly stick to his role of what he was supposed to be doing or what the coaches wanted. No one will ever know what the truth is inside there. But uh, yeah, the players need to be staying on task for what makes the team win. Yeah, great example with Kavon Levy there. He's another guy who started off as like small forward, power forward. That was his draft profile. And people were like, hey, look, the shot. I really think he could be a good shooter and whatever. And again, whether it was Golden State, whether it was him, whether it was his personal staff, they were like, uh-uh, you're a big man. Go rebound, be tenacious and do those things. And that's what made him a lot of money and made him a multi-time champ at Golden State. The last player I want to throw out there is the player that we started with in John Day Porter. John Day Porter is definitely a dark horse in this, like, being able to get in the rotation. As a shooter, he could do those same things that they liked out of Isaiah Livers. Weak side rim protection and three-point shooting. Those are the two things that Jonte Porter was sold as coming out of the draft. Those are the two skills that he still should be hanging his hat on and developing. Again, that's why I think it's a good signing, even if it's just the exhibit 10 day that runs the 10 days. I don't think it's going to be that, though, but rooting, really rooting for Jonte Porter in this stick around because he does do those two things very well and he could be that guy that can fit in in that power forward spot in the second unit anything else you want to touch up on or do we say adios for the for this time and get ready for us talking again after we have some media day to talk about yeah, you got a report from the sidelines of those live practice or the open tryouts. What is the open practice? That's what it is. Yeah, open my practice. Motor City Cruise open tryouts and everything mixed up in my head. They still haven't, at least I don't believe they've announced the date of the open practice yet, but I still look forward to going. And if they don't have one, I may end up going to a preseason game just to get my fix and 
see some of these guys moving around and playing back. I thought I saw a tweet about it that they were going to announce it soon, but um, I don't have like definitive thing on that. They normally do it every year. I can't imagine they just all of a sudden stop, but should be a fantastic time coming up. Like Andy said, with the media days, training camp coming up, we'll definitely be talking about training camp battles coming up. But for tonight, that is our audios for the night. So Andy, let everybody know where they can find you. You can find me on Twitter at D underscore D underscore Pistons underscore fan. It's almost here. The off season is almost done and we can get started with real basketball again. Indeed. And it's still quiet here on the University of Arizona campus with the score 31-17. Washington beating us six minutes, 22 seconds left in the fourth quarter. Maybe a miracle happens in between now and then, but bear down and we'll go on next week. So, yeah, thank you so much, everybody, for listening to us here. We will catch you next time. Cool night.